0: Aloha, this is Holly Allgood inviting you to Tutu's Talk Story every Wednesday from noon to one. Listen and connect with women, ordinary and extraordinary, sharing their life stories. Dream, see, write, live your story. Dream, think, and live your story. Aloha, North Kohala and beyond. This is Holly Allgood here at KNKR LP 96.1 FM Kohala. I'm very excited to say that my guest today is Tani Waipa And you, many of you may know her, especially those who are local to the Javi in North Kohala area because Tani is also a radio personality here at KNKR and Chee-hoo. hosts it's <laughs> and hosts Tani's World. So Tani, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show this morning. Um glad to glad to be here.
0: Yes. Well, oh. you look like a very young woman. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but you're old enough mm-hmm. to be a tutu,
1: huh? I am a tutu. Wow. I, I have two granddaughters that live in Texas. They're eight and five. Mm-hmm. And then I have stepchildren and stepgranddaughters. And and uh, step, I'm going to have a stepgrandson here pretty soon in March. So that'll be my first grandson. Well, Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you born and raised? Well, um, actually, I was born in California, Huntington Park, California, uh, around the LA area. and But when I was three months old, my grandparents uh, brought me back. My father's parents brought me to Hilo to live with them. So I was raised with my grandma and grandpa, Waipa, in Keokaha in Hilo on the Big Island. And my grandfather is originally from Puna. He was born in Kapa'ahu, which is past Kalapana, which was run over by the lava <laughs> many years ago. But for those that re- still remember Waha'u um, that's where he was brought up, around that area. And my grandmother was raised in Kau for most of her life. But then they both met and uh, raised their family in Hilo. My dad was raised there um, and his siblings. And I uh, was raised there as well, in Keokaha. And h- how was that for you, growing up in Hilo? You know... Hilo is a town that just doesn't seem to change much, I think. You know, it's still got that old-school Hawaii vibe, still got that old-school feeling. And it was, um, I, th- I feel very blessed that I was raised by my grandparents, my Hawaiian grandparents, um, growing up at home. My grandparents were very con- concerned at the time um, that the Hawaiian language was dying. And so they made it a point to speak Hawaiian at home with me when I was growing up so I can still understand Hawaiian. I can't really speak it as much because I don't have anybody to speak with really that much. But um, they made it a point to, and they always spoke to each other in Hawaiian too. So it was, I feel blessed to have grown up with them, um, that old school style. They they were old school all the way. Tell us what you mean by old school. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) they thought in that old Hawaiian manner. For instance, one of the reasons I became um, interested in literature when I went to college, and I was a a literature major, uh, that was, I studied British literature, was because words always had such a great effect on me. Everything was poetry, and when you listen when I listened to them speak in Hawaiian the way they did, a lot of it was in metaphor. a lot of it was it was beautiful to listen to. It was very colorful, very um imaginative, uh lots of innuendos to this and that, lots of what we call Kauna or hidden meaning. So to me, that was the beauty of language. Language was a beautiful thing. It could be made into anything. It could do anything. And my grandfather, from the very, I remember him saying this from when I was very, very little, what comes out of the mouth, and he said it in Hawaiian, what comes out of the mouth is more important. That, that what, you com- what comes out of your mouth is extremely important. You give it life. It has a life of its own. So you need to be careful what comes out of your mouth. Boy, I think that's good advice for all mm-hmm. of us. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they were very careful in what in h- how they spoke, in what they said. It was very measured. It wasn't careless. It was always thought out.
0: And sometimes it sounds like not perhaps direct, especially if things are in metaphor. Mm-hmm. So it was maybe that you had to really think and take in what was being told to you. You did. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You had to think about is that really what they mean? <laughs> is that really what they're saying? <laughs> is what they're saying on the surface really what they're saying or is there something else underneath? And mo- a lot of the time they were saying there was a message underneath. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if you're familiar with um Olelo Noeo. there's a book out there mm-hmm. um by Puku America Pukui. It's a, a a book of Hawaiian proverbs and it's it's great, it's a great, great book, Uh, and the Proverbs and the translations, and a lot of, I recognize, if you look at that book, and you read some of the Proverbs in that book, that's how my grandparents spoke, was in that language, that, and there was a, there was a language of the court, there was a language that was spoken in the well-educated circle, (laughs) and there was a language of common people, you know. And so my grandmother was able to, she had more years of education than my grandfather did. Um, so there was both of that kind of language. So when my grandfather would get together with his brothers, he would speak a very, like a guttural kind of Hawaiian. Uh, but when he was with my grandmother, he spoke, it was very calm and <laughs> measured. <laughs> so, um, Yeah.
0: So very contextual use of language.
1: Very. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. How lucky were you to, to have that
1: experience? I was. I feel like I was really blessed at a very young age. I'm so glad I grew up with them and not my parents. God bless my parents, but they had plenty going on at the time. Mm-hmm. So
0: <laughs> Did, were there other Hawaiian
1: protocols or crafts that they taught you? You know, they didn't teach me. Um, I came kind of at the end of their sort of busy years and their busy cycles, um, so they didn't teach me the craft of um, lauhala weaving. But they were certainly very um, involved in that craft. That was part because my grandfather was from Pune, the hala of Pune. The it, it's famous. Pune is famous for its hala. And the the length of the leaves, the length of the le- they're very long leaves, so you don't have to join as much, right? So, anyway, and the and the the smell the of, of the punahala is famous in song and in chant, and so they were they were weavers. My grandfather um, supplied the lohala stores and shops in the 50s and 60s, when there was a big demand for it, when tourists were first starting to come to Hawaii. They wanted to take home laohala purses and Halla hats and laohala placemats and laohala this and that and the other thing. And so that was a booming business for, for them for a while. And so all of my aunts and uncles, my dad, they all remember going down to Puna with my grandfather to pick and um, take care of hala. And, and do all of that. And I never learned that as a child. You know, by that time, they were kind of like, they had put their kids through school. And that was the whole reason for them doing the whole La hala business was to send my father and my my aunts and uncles to school. Yeah. On the mainland. Well, it's quite
0: an ordeal prepper, preparing Hala to take yes. off the sawtooth edges yes. and cut it to the right size and yes. make sure it's supple. Mm-hmm. So, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard work.
1: Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. it is hard work. And the, I remember my grandfather's sister, my Tutu Kanani, um, when she, she would be talking and watching TV and working with you know, um, with her hands as she'd be weaving along and pretty soon she'd have something done. <laughs> and it was like she did it all automatically without even thinking about it. So, but I never learned that. They never My grandfather never wanted me to do that. They were very careful with me as a child. They wanted me to go to school. They wanted me to be very Western. They wanted me to uh, go to college and have an education and graduate from school, and so it sounds like you did that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what
0: I did. Mm-hmm. Now I also hear that you are very good on the
1: ukulele. Did you get any <laughs> of that from your family? <laughs> you know, our family was always very musical, and I think it's because a lot, a lot. My earliest musical memories come from um, basically from church and so we were always in church. A lot of people today, they don't realize and they don't remember maybe how important church was to the Hawaiian circles back in those days. Haile Church in Hilo was the church. It it wasn't just the church in Hilo. It was a place of political gatherings. So after the overthrow of Liliuokalani, it was highly Church. That was where they were allowed to meet, and that's where the civic clubs started, Hawaiian civic clubs. That's where the movement to um, protect the monarchy, to reinstate the monarchy, to um, support Liliuokalani and her faction, that's where it came from, was the Hawaiian churches. And even to, as I was growing up in Keokaha, um, every every block has a church, every block. So there's a Catholic church. There's a, what we call Calavina, Calvinist church. And it didn't matter. You'd go to all the churches because your cousin went to one church. There was a potluck at this church. There was singing over at that church. There was a program over here. They had a special guest speaker. So you went to all the churches <laughs> in, in Kia It didn't matter uh, really what religion you were. But, but um, my musical experience starts with church. And with um, family songs, because we had family worship time at home after dinner. We would um, get together, and there was always music. That was the main part of church. Well, music and food, but music for sure. And so, yeah, the first time I ever sang in public was when I was four at church. And, and so that that continued. And when did you take up the uke? Um, you know, my grandfather gave me my first ukulele for my birthday when I was seven because we were going to start um, having ukulele f- lessons at school so he bought me a kamaka ukulele a soprano ukulele that I still have to this day um, from Long's Drugs <laughs> 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 and uh, and that was how I started playing ukulele but I didn't you know I didn't really play much until I was until I hit my 40s I kept my ukulele. I knew basic chords and I knew how to, you know, do basic stuff. You know, I, I can't think of any Hawaiians that don't know how to play or sing, you know, in, in my family. I, it just came naturally mm-hmm. to to sing and to sing in part, to sing in harmony. You learned that at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, in church, you have church choir and you go and you sing your part you know and my father was a musical music director he was a music teacher at St. Joseph's for 35 years that was he graduated with his degree in art and music and so even when he taught at St. Joseph's my sister and I would go and if he didn't have enough sopranos he we would sing soprano and if he didn't have enough altos we'd sing alto and if he didn't have enough tenors we'd sing tenor we couldn't sing bass, but that's okay, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: So is that the school you went to?
1: I went to school at St. Joseph's for two years. Mm-hmm. But I started out, actually, when my gra- when I was four, four, five, four, um, my grandmother got sick. My three aunties lived on the mainland, and so she, uh, they brought, we all went to the mainland so that my grandmother could go see the doctors there. So I started kindergarten in East L.A., <laughs> <laughs> at Humphreys Elementary School in East LA, and I went there for kindergarten, first grade, and then my grandmother got well enough to come back home to Hawaii. So then I went to um, Kilkaha Elementary from second grade through, I don't know, fourth grade. How was, was
0: that for you going back and forth?
1: I went back and forth during my whole childhood, and I think it really made for—I uh, was comfortable in both places. I'm still comfortable in both places. A lot of my friends that grew up with me in Keokaha didn't have the opportunity to go back and forth, so there's a lot less comfort moving between the Hawaiian world and the Western world mm-hmm. that are in my age group. Mm-hmm. There's not that much comfort in it. Well, for, While for me, it's easy for me to move mm-hmm. between the two.
0: That's great. Mm-hmm. So you came back, uh, so uh, tell me about your whole education.
1: Um, I went to public schools up until I was in the seventh grade, and then my parents decided at that point, they became a little more involved, and it wasn't so much my grandparents, um, that I should go to church school, so I went to church school. Did you notice a difference? Yeah. It was very stifling for me. In what way? Um... There were a lot more, I couldn't explore as freely. I couldn't do as much. It wasn't as open to expression. Mm -hmm. So you had to watch because I had, I felt like I had to watch what I said. And I tried to understand it. I tried to understand why um, there was sort of a feeling of, of being shut down, of being closed down. So I spent two years at church school there, and then I went to St. Joseph's for a couple of years, which was actually better, going to Catholic school (laughs) was actually better, Um, except for the fact that my father was a teacher at the Catholic school that I went to, and he always expected more of me than he expected of the other kids, which I think children of teaching parents will tell you is common, and, um, but, you know. I did it. It wasn't a problem. I never had academic problems. I, I never had those kinds of um, issues. I always, I was always encouraged by my grandparents to read, um, and I read voraciously throughout my childhood and through high school. And I still like to read. And then you went off to college. Yeah, I went to. I convinced my parents when I was a junior that they should send me away to Honolulu. To because there was a school, a church school in Honolulu that had a dorm and I could stay in it. And I figured that was a great way to escape Hilo and escape my parents. And so that's what I did. I convinced them, like, I should go. I should, I, and I could get a job there. And I was very independent growing up. You know, my parents kind of had their own thing going on. My grandparents were getting older. I was like, I need to get out of here. This is like not happening for me. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> 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 so, so at 13, I got my own, dra- my own, um, Social Security card because I wanted to get a job so that I could get some money so I could move, and um, I convinced him out to to send me away to church school in Honolulu. So that was those were the junior and senior years were fun they were fun years you know in high school um, living in a dorm with other kids I got to go surfing down in Waikiki with um, an old uncle one of those old Waikiki beach boys uncles that would haul a bunch of us from the dorm up on his old beat-up Datsun truck (laughs) and we had these great big like tanker boards that he would get out of the basement of the dorm and he would take us down to Waikiki a couple times a week and that's that's where I would spend a lot of time. After I was done working after school and done doing my chores at the dorm, I'd go surfing with Uncle Reese. So you started working also? What, mm-hmm. y- what kind of work were you doing? I worked at the school, uh, grading, you know, helping teachers grade papers. And then on the weekends, I worked for Dr. Lawson in Kailua, uh, cleaning his house. Well, first of all, I worked in his office. Um, as a clerk, you know, doing things in the office to help, and then I would go over to his house afterwards, and his wife hired me to clean, help clean house over there, so I made money doing that, and um, I did that for a summer between my junior and senior year, and made some money doing that, so.
0: Sounds like you were very industrious.
1: I, I, I was, I was. <laughs> Notice I said was. <laughs> And you were studying <laughs> literature? And and I like, well, in high school, like, you know, was just doing the general ed thing. I tell you what, I did not like math or chemistry. Those were very sort of binding to me, you know, like, like there was a right answer. I was, can't we have more than one right answer? <laughs> no, you can't in <laughs> math and chemistry. So, um, yeah, I didn't gravitate to that very much. So when I got to college, I, I, I felt college was very freeing. I went to UH Hilo. I took a year off after high school, And, you know, got a job when I went back home and to Hilo and worked at Hilo Bay Hotel. That was my first, like, real job after high school. And I was a clerk there. And, yeah, just I went to UH Hilo after that. And how was that? I loved Hilo. I loved UH Hilo. One of the Vulcans, yeah. (laughs) I met one of my best friends when I was a, a freshman there. You know, we were both in... History 101, which was like one of those classes where there's like 100 kids in the class, and it doesn't matter if you fall asleep, you can tell, you can't tell, (laughs) but um, yeah, I met my best girlfriend there, and we've been friends to this day, Leigh Colburn, she was a volleyball player for the Vulcans, and um, yeah, we remain friends to this day, she's she's my bestie, and then after a couple of years, I took off uh, of school at UH Hilo, and then and graduated later on when I had my daughter. Yeah.
0: So. And what about after you
1: finished college? What did you do? I started teaching at Hilo High School. I was a high school teacher for a, a few years. What were you teaching? English. Look at that. English and English literature. So taking after your grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, my grandfather never graduated. He went to third grade. Uh, third grade education is all he had. But he he was he was very industrious, I have to say. I, I think I learned a lot from him. He became a police officer, you know, um, was always better at math than I was. I was always looking to him to help, for help. And um he had all kinds of side businesses going on painting and low hollow making and this and that and the other. And so i that was just part of life growing up for me but um, yeah i eventually became a teacher and and i loved it i loved teaching at hilo high actually the my first gig at hilo high uh my my elementary school principal donna psyche she hired me She was my principal when I was in second and third grade at um, Kyokaha Elementary School. And then when I graduated from college as a teacher, she hired me at Hilo High School.
0: Isn't that something? (laughs) And what did
1: you teach? English. I taught English. I taught yearbook. Uh, The first year I was there, I I started second semester. And I took over a class... um, the class—it was a senior class, senior English. But the the guy I took over for also taught Latin. I knew nothing about Latin. I didn't know. I don't know beans about it. But fortunately, there there was a there was an assistant there, and he did everything. So that was great. Yeah, that was one thing. But uh, yeah, that was that was what I taught, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the kids. Um, I kind of got burnt out after a while. Um, because of the adults <laughs> <laughs> the parents it was, it was the adults that were a real problem no it was the doe <laughs> it, 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 I felt like I was a glorified babysitter I was I felt like oh you want me to do this instead of like actually teach you want me to like you want me to be paying attention to these statistics rather than teaching I felt it was very that wasn't what I was there for. And I was very idealistic and young. You know how it is. <laughs> you know, just getting out of high school or college and stuff. So so what happened next? Um, I, um, well, let's see. By that time, I'd had my son and my daughter. And so uh, I decided to move to the mainland. I decided to move to California. That was in 1994. Yeah, I had myself a, a glorious affair. And... <laughs> And moved to California, and uh, and I lived in California for 16 years, um, doing various things. I worked um, for a, for a manu- different manufacturing companies, and I worked in sales, and I did um, marketing. I I would go to conventions. I got to travel a lot because I was in sales. So. I did lots of fun things. I I I did all I did all kinds of things. I worked for a, a machine company as a as an executive secretary from China. The, the, this machine company from China. I worked there and yeah, just got to travel a bit here and there. And I like traveling. I love traveling. I love my favorite place in the world for a long time was Los Angeles International Airport. <laughs> it was so exciting for me. <laughs> to be there. And every time I go to the airport, and I, I'm getting on a plane, I'm like, oh, I have that feeling of freedom, you know, it's mm-hmm. that free, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to travel, I'm going to go someplace, I'm going to see something new and learn something new. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I love that. Great. And
0: when, how did you get back to Hawaii?
1: Oh, okay. Well, spent 16 years in California. And in 2009, well, let's see, a few years before that, I started playing music again. Um, I had a boyfriend that was an ukulele player, so I picked up the ukulele and started playing again. We did this Sunday gig somewhere, and I met other people through that. And I sang in big bands and swing bands because I always loved um, jazz and swing music. Like, I remember when, because my dad was a music teacher, he would get all these, these, demo records from music companies like sheet music companies and he would throw them away he would throw them in the trash can I would go in the trash can and pick them up and those were my records right so I remember picking up one of those records and it was um uh it was a swing to moon shucks (laughs) my 58 year old brain is hiccuping right now at the moment (laughs) (laughs) but that was an epiphany for me um Tommy Dorsey it was beautiful I remember listening to that and going wow that's the kind of music I really like and so I went to the Hilo library and I borrowed everything they had to listen to that was jazz-oriented or jazz-related. Uh, all of the books, I borrowed all of those. The Hilo Library was my place of refuge, my mm-hmm. solace. That was my place. And so I learned all about that. And so I went when I moved to California, I sought that out. I would go to hear jazz bands and swing bands. And I eventually started singing in jazz bands and swing bands and singing with trios and And that kind of thing. So I've performed all over the place at the Beverly Wilshire, the Beverly Hilton, the um, different conferences and things like that. So I had a job during the day, but at night I would go and sing when my kids were older. Mm -hmm. I would go and sing at these different places. And all of the guys, I met some really cool people. Um, Lawrence Marable, um, all kinds of jazz greats that were, you know, at the time much, much, they were much older, but were still alive. And a lot of them have since passed. Um, I got to see Nancy Wilson. I got to see Ella Fitzgerald. I got to see, you know, a lot of, a lot of my favorites that I admired. So, and I had a boyfriend that was at the time that was very much into jazz as well. He was a jazz drummer, but he was also a jazz encyclopedia. He just knew everything. And his record collection was huge. I mean, it was just huge. And so I would listen to all these things. It was a great um, time for me to absorb and to learn all about that. So that's, that's where I got, that's where I, my musical interest was furthered was during that time period. And so you asked how I got back to Hawaii. In 2009, I went to the NAMM show, which I had been going to a number of times for a number of years. The NAMM show is the National Association of Music Manufacturers, I think it is. Anyway, it's the big music show in L.A. Every January, they have it still. And uh, that's where I met my second husband, Warren Kaneo, who a lot of people on this island know. (laughs) He's got relatives here in Kohala. (laughs) So so that's where I met Warren. And um, Warren and I got together, and, and I decided to move back to the big island, but to the Kona side instead of the Hilo side. So that's how I came back to Hawaii. Well, with that, I think we'll take a break. This is Holly Allgood for Tutu's Talk
0: Story here on KNKRLP 96.1 FM Kohala. Our very special guest today is Tani Waipa, and we will be back with her shortly.
1: If you've ever wanted to learn how to play the ukulele or need one to practice on, now is the time. Ukulele are available to borrow at all public libraries on Hawaii Island. Each ukulele kit includes one ukulele, a battery-powered tuner, and a carrying case. Patrons can use the instrument for a three-week period at no cost, one ukulele per card. The instruments are provided and supported by the Music for Life Foundation and Jake Shimabukuro. For more information, call the North Kohala branch of the Hawaii Public Library, 889-6655. That's 889-6655. Now's the time to start strumming.
2: Aloha, North Kohala. Kohala Cares has moved its weekly food drive to the hub parking lot. Those in need can drive to the parking lot and pick up a bag of groceries. Pickup begins at 4.30, every Wednesday. Please wear a mask. Donations, especially produce, will be accepted Wednesday from 11 to 3. We want to thank all our donors and volunteers for making all this happen. Remember, we're all in this together. Mahalo.
3: Aloha, this is Ayla and Mikkel Anna, and we would love to invite you to join us for Activated Intuitive Talk Story. Yes, join us the first Wednesdays of each month from 3 to 4 p.m. Tune in locally at 96.1 FM or live stream from anywhere at knkr.org. And Isla, where would people go if they'd like to tune in to previous shows? I'm so glad you asked because they are located on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts under Intuitive Talk Story. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And we look forward to igniting with you soon.
0: Aloha. This is Holly, All Allgood at Tutu's Talk Story here on KNKRLP 96.1 FM Kohala. And by the way, you could, if you have a question for Tani Waipa, who is my special guest today, you can give us a call at 884-KNKR or eight eight four five six five seven. Tani was telling us that she has spent a lot of time going back and forth between Hawaii and California, and after she came back, she spent a lot of time with her music career. Can you tell us <laughs> about the evolution of your music career?
1: <laughs> you know... You do things because you have to sometimes. (laughs) Necessity is the mother of invention, they say. And uh, when I moved back to Hawaii from California, uh, music was Warren's whole... He'd been a professional musician for years. And so we were at different ends of the spectrum, really. He He had done that for years. I was just coming in to do... it For me, it was... It wasn't my main profession. I didn't have to make a living doing it. And I think that's what I learned from Warren is the business end of things. Music is a business. Um, I've never won a hoku. I've never won any kind of, you know, things like that. But I can probably say with a good deal of certainty that I've made more money than a lot of them have (laughs) just because... I work as a musician, and it's different when you work as a musician, um, when you have to make a living from it, you do certain things that you wouldn't do just as a plain, just as an artist. And I'm not saying that, that being an artist is less than, it's not at all, it's a wonderful calling to be an artist, to be a musical artist, to um, to have that purity as an artist, to be a pure artist. But a lot of times being a pure artist doesn't pay the bills. And so I learned from more in the music business. And I'm not saying I know everything about the music business, but I certainly learned uh, what sells and what doesn't. And a lot of what I learned had to do with entertaining rather than being just a musician and just a singer. Um, I had to learn how to play the ukulele better because my value came from... Not just singing, but playing an instrument you have to if you're if they're hiring out there, there are very few venues today that hire duos and trios there's no place that hires a big band that's just too much overhead that's too much money to spend so um, they're hiring solo musicians, so you have to learn to play something and sing you have to learn how to work a machine that gives you a backup track to, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and play your instrument, and sing, and do all of those things at the same time. You can't just rely on singing, which is what I had to do before. And um, when I knew that that I wasn't going to be with Warren, um, that became even more clear that I had to to make sure that I had Made inroads and made connections with the right people in the hotel industry and in the tourist industry and the visitor industry to have a business that I could survive in. And and fortunately, you know, I, I've been blessed to make those kinds of connections. I've made some, met some wonderful people um, that have taken me to Europe that many times we've been to Germany, um, I've played music in Germany and Switzerland, um, had a chance to sail through Denmark, I mean, it's, uh, and learned, taught ukulele in Denmark to people that were on sailboats, for goodness sakes. I mean, I've done all kinds of um, different things uh, with the business of music and the business of, and, and the Hawaiian, that niche is, it's a very specific niche. It's a very specific kind of music. And a lot of, you know, a lot of our younger musicians say they don't want to play at the hotels because they feel like they're selling out, you know. But in back in the day, in the 40s and 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, when uh, the hotels and the business of tourism was growing in Hawaii, a, a lot of wonderful music came to be. A lot of wonderful music uh, was created specifically for that industry, that creation of the Hawaiian mystique that... Um, that image that people, that sort of Hollywood image that people have of Hawaii, that is what I feel is my special niche. Mm-hmm. That I can, you know, that whole hapahaole era of music. In fact, uh, recently on Naleo TV, uh, Kaulu Amaral, who a lot of people, she's from Kohala, Michelle uh, Perez Amaral. Uh, she and I have gone to Europe together. She's a, she's a hula. Uh, she's one of Hawaii's premier hula Um, soloists. They recently interviewed her um, and did a special, I think it was La'iopua was the one that produced this series of Kona artists. And it recently aired on Naleo TV. And uh, we covered, she and I, I played music for her uh, to dance to that was from that hapahaole era, that era of of Waikiki and the golden years of Waikiki and, and all of that uh, romance kind of Hawaiian music that you don't really hear too much anymore. And so nowadays, I still work at the at the Hilton Grand Vacations, even after COVID, which took us through, you know, some real ups and downs. But I, I entertain at the hotels. I like to do that. I like to weave in stories of local people, of local culture. Of um, I like to give them a, not just a tourist view of Hawaii. I don't want them to see what Hilton wants them to see. I don't want them to see what the tourist industry wants them to see. I want them to see what I see as a Hawaiian. I want them to see what we see as a people, what our concerns are. I talked to them about the overthrow. I talked to them about Lili uokalani. I talked to them about um, how she and her sister and two brothers would have music competitions with each other, you know, writing Hawaiian compositions, how that led to um, people like Helen DeShay Beamer who wrote classic Hawaiian songs. Lena Machado, another one who wrote classic Hawaiian songs that you still hear today but uh, may not be as popular or you may not hear it as much on the radio as you do. More contemporary composers now that are coming out and that can compose in Olelo Hawaii now. So it sounds like after coming back here,
0: uh, you you and your husband split up Mm -hmm. and you really built yourself
1: quite... uh, a good career in music. I did because I had to. Yeah, I had to. Um, he had already established himself, and and that was him. <laughs> and, and when we split up, he took Kingsland at Hilton Grand Vacations, and I took Kohala Suites and Bay Club at at Hilton Grand Vacations, and um, and I and I went on from there to. For a long, for a number of years, I was over at the King Shops until COVID hit. I was at the King Shops doing music there and teaching hula and ukulele and other things there. And I'm not a hula kumu hula, not even close. Um, That was something that was more recent for me. But um, yeah, that's, that's what I had to do in order to survive and to make it and to make sure that I would be okay,
0: you know. So, where does that bring you now? What are you doing now? What are oh, you Oh, gosh,
1: what am I doing now? <laughs> well, sorry to say, King Shops hasn't really uh, come back online yet. Uh, established wonderful relationships with people there and wonderful relationships with people at the hotels. You know, I think one of the things that um, working at the hotels and at, at, in the visitor industry has allowed me to do is to become not just a singer, but an entertainer. And I love entertainment. I love the entertainment industry. I love being able to talk with people and weave stories into the music or to tell the backstory of that song, why it was written, who it was written for. So I do a lot of that. I try to incorporate that on my show on Mondays. Um, but when COVID hit, as with a lot of people, it like completely took our livelihoods away. It took my—I mean— I didn't do anything for almost a year. It was 11 months before Hilton Grand Vacations called me back and gave me one day. Before COVID, I was working six, seven days a week, two, three times a day. And, and it was kind of grueling. And I actually... I learned a lot when COVID hit. I learned that even though I thought I was diversified, I wasn't just working at one hotel. I was working at three different hotels and the King Shops. And I wasn't just singing. I was doing classes. I was doing cultural talk stories. I was all over the place doing all kinds of things. I thought I was diversified. But when COVID hit, it taught me that I wasn't. And that nothing... You can't have too many eggs in too many baskets So what did you do during COVID? Um, I sat on my lawn and I smoked and I drank. No. (laughs) 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 And I thought (laughs) a lot. (laughs) And I looked at what other people were doing. And a lot of other people were still growing businesses online. They had gotten themselves... Into Insta- onto Instagram and Facebook, so I did a few things. Launched a uh, a little more live stuff. I'd been doing stuff over here actually at the um, uh, uh, at the uh, at the barn over here. You know, doing Kanikapillas and streaming live. So I started streaming live a little bit more, and so I stream live every Friday now from the from the Hilton Grand Vacations um, Bay Club. So you can so. A lot. We keep in touch with a lot of our um, fans, if you want to call them that, <laughs> friends. Our friends on the mainland they watch us uh, on Fridays, um, and I started learning about social media and how much it can help and how, what it's capable of doing. Uh, I learned that there are so many things, so many apps, so many tricks. So many things that um, can help you or hurt you on social media. Social media is a powerful, powerful tool. And I think as a 58-year-old, I learn a lot slower than these teenagers (laughs) do um, that are using social media. But you know what? I'm going to give them a run for their money. I'm gonna. I I really, I really like learning about social media and what it can do for me. So I'm experimenting right now with all of the different things. You know, my granddaughter's taught me about TikTok. My granddaughter's, and and, uh, my granddaughter knows how to, you you know, use Minecraft. She can build uh, roller coasters on Minecraft very easily, much more easily than I can. Um, And. YouTube has been a blessing. I've learned a lot from YouTube. Uh, I also noticed that there are not many of us as creators, 50-plus-year-olds, um, that a lot of times we are discounted as creators. We are uh, not trusted as sources, as voices. There isn't, we don't really have a strong voice on social media I want to change that
0: good for you yeah so is this mostly around your music putting the music on social media
1: yeah it's putting the music on social media somewhat I mean that's the natural edge that I have that's the natural um thing that I would go to um that and doing what I did at king shops which was cultural lessons I mean you know I have videos of me um sanding my 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 um papakui ai our poi board that we've had in our family for generations and getting it back into shape so we can use it to pound poi again um, so things like that videos like that that i think would would work you know that angle but um there's also the angle that i want to take about aging and um and not being discounted i i want to encourage other people that are our age and older to, to go and look and see what there is on social media for them and to create, become creators because as 50 something years old, year olds, we do have a lot to share. We do have life experience. That's our edge. We have the life experience that the 20 something year old doesn't have. So, you're talking about like on YouTube,
0: right? For people to take their knowledge and perhaps make videos mm-hmm. so that we can learn from each other. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. the people who have been around longer, yeah. who maybe have some wisdom that younger people don't have, mm-hmm. to make sure they're
1: putting out there what they have to offer. Exactly. Exactly. Don't discount yourself because you have wrinkles and white hair. That's a positive. That's something that you should use that is valuable that you can teach others with. Don't, please don't go sit in your chair all day long and watch TV. (laughs) You have too much to offer to do that. Don't Mm -hmm, do that. mm -hmm. Get up and live. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. Well, that's Mm -hmm. that's good advice. (laughs) I think, and it sounds like that's what happened to you. I mean, you were saying for a moment when COVID hit, that you were sitting on the lawn, but it sounds like that didn't last long.
1: Yeah, it lasted a few months. (laughs) My boyfriend got really worried. (laughs) 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 Yeah, there are pictures of me rolling around on the lawn, crying about the loss of my business, the complete loss of everything. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that lasted a few months, but that's kind of not how I am naturally. So yeah, the industriousness of my—I can hear my grandfather in my ear saying, "You can't do this. This is like ridiculous. You can't do this. Mm-hmm. You got to get up and you got to get going again." Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's there's this to explore. I'm not done. I'm not done yet yeah. exploring this.
0: Well, you know, you bring up a very good point. My son, who just turned 30, is here in town, mm-hmm. and he's a streamer, and he's oh. on Twitch. Yes. And if you talk to somebody. Who's even 30 years old for Twitch. Yes, it is. But if you talk to somebody who's 40 or 50, most mm-hmm. people have no idea what Twitch is. Exactly. They don't. And, and yet there's so many opportunities to offer, as you say, something creative mm-hmm. and to put yourself out, even have some sort of conversations with group people. Right. And uh, I agree with you. I think more of us need to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. and had to participate in a way because it's worldwide, right? I it see is. He, he deals with people from all over the world. Right. And so talk about possibilities.
1: All kinds of possibilities. Good. I'm glad you brought up Twitch. People want to pay you to just watch you play a game. <laughs> how crazy is that? They want to pay to watch you play your game online. People want to watch me, brush my hair, and go through my day, and brush my teeth, and tune my ukulele. There's there's people that want to pay me to do that. Yeah, I, I it's kind of crazy, <laughs> but hey, you know what? I'll take it. That, <laughs> that that's making a living. You know, that's keeping yourself creative and, and learning how to put a spin and a vibe on it that is unique, that is exciting, that's entertaining. That's part of entertainment. It's mm-hmm. part of you don't have to be the one that's sitting in the chair. You can be the creator. So how did how did you get into this? Oh, desperation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. I had to find. I didn't want to go. Uh, anybody can go out there and get a nine to five job. You can get a job anywhere. Uh, every place is hiring. But I didn't want to go back to doing a nine-to-five kind of thing. I worked, by the way, for the LA County Assessor's Office as an appraiser. I'm actually a certified appraiser with the State Board of Equalization in California. And it was very, um, very vanilla for me. You know, that was a very vanilla job. But I had to do it because I had kids at the time, right? I needed to support kids. But I I don't want to do a nine-to-five kind of thing. I want to be free to travel to Germany and run my show from there. I want to be free to... When I feel, as an artist, the need to create, I can pick up my ukulele or my guitar or whatever else I want, my sewing machine, my whatever, and create something. I, I don't want to be tied down. And that's what has brought me to this place now, is that I don't want to be tied down. I'm a gypsy at heart. And really, uh, being very involved online lets you, mm-hmm. as they
0: say, work from anywhere.
1: It does. It, that's exactly right. If I wanted to be with my granddaughters in Dallas, could I move over there and make a living? Not if I'm doing Hawaiian music maybe, but I could do something else online um and make a living there or if I wanted to travel to Japan, could I do could I make a living from there online? Certainly I could. That that's what I want to be able to accomplish. So, what other advice do you have
0: for the listeners out there? It sounds like you've had quite an interesting life <laughs> that you've moved many places that you're very creative and original uh-huh. any any life lessons that you want to share
1: don't ever give up don't ever let yourself languish and think you know what i see and think this is the end i shouldn't try anymore that mediocrity is enough If you're just living a life that is, you're putting up with things around you, be that your husband, your wife, people around you, your situation, your whatever. If mediocrity is where you're at and you're just putting up with things, then you might as well already be dead. Get up and go do something. Make the change. Change, hurts, man. It hurts and it's awful sometimes and it's just yuck. But out of that change comes great things. Out of that change, I never thought I would travel to Europe the way that I did. It wasn't I had to give up a career at the LA County Assessor's office, which was office which was very comfy. I had all my medical paid for, I had retirement, I had this and that. But I gave all that up to come home and to have a life playing music. And that's not something that a lot of people would advise you to do. You know, music, my grandfather would roll over in his grave if he thought that I ever became a musician. He was like, a musician, that's hard. My father didn't want me to be a musician. He was a musician. He was like, it's a hard life. No, but you know what? You have to do what you, do what you love. Find something that you love, that you are passionate about, that you care a great deal about. Go and do that. And if, I'm not a big mon- okay, I'm not a big believer in monogamy. If this is the r- there are right people for you at different parts of your life. If this is not the right person for you, work it out, man. Either get yourself to a place where you guys are either going to counseling or you're deciding to work out some kind of other agreement. But don't let yourself die sitting on the sofa in mediocrity. Change. It's hard and it's painful, but it's worth it.
0: So how do you think you became so open to radical change?
1: Uh, I think I was just born like that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I just, I saw... I saw other you know what? There was this one thing I can give you an example. My first marriage. We're married like, what? 12 years already. And uh, it was just you know we had the kids, we had the this, that, and the other thing, We were trying to make think it, it all work, and it was going really well. Everything was going really well. I was living in Hilo, stopped at a stoplight in the middle of pouring rain. And in the car next to me, I see this older couple sitting there at the stoplight too, in the rain, looking straight ahead, both of them. You can tell that they haven't spoken with each other, like for real, like haven't had a real conversation with each other, a meaningful, heartfelt conversation in years. That scared me to death. I don't want to be that. I didn't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person still. So if things, if I feel like I'm heading, I'm being... I'm sitting at the stoplight in the rain looking ahead and the person that's next to me, I haven't had a meaningful conversation with them in who knows how long. It's time to change. That's not living. You're just waiting to die. Go. Go change. Go do something. Don't live in fear. That's my advice. All right. Well, anything else that you want to leave us with? Any other words of (laughs) wisdom? (laughs) I'm happy right now. It's good. <laughs> yeah. what's, so what's next for you? What's next for me? More, st- you're, I think you're going to see, I don't have a website up now. I took it down actually a year and a half ago because I really wanted to redo it because it's not me. Any- it wasn't me anymore. Um, so I'm putting up a website again, probably <laughs> I know I've been saying this for the last year, but it's taken all this long to kind of figure out what I want to do. So I think you're going to see more from me online. So offerings, both in
0: terms of maybe teachings and music, mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, blogs, podcasts, um, lehua. Uh, Sam and I have been collaborating on some i think some things some ideas so heading in that direction podcasts blogs you'd be surprised what people want to listen to people spend a lot of time in their cars driving they just want to listen to stuff uh, people spend time on their treadmill at the gym <laughs> listening to podcasts people blogs um, other things like that so more things online I think a YouTube I have a YouTube channel that's going to drastically change um, and we'll be offering other other kinds of entertainment and other kinds of food for thought. I've been meditating a lot too, morning and night and trying to, it keeps me centered and ground, grounded. I um, I tried, I, one of the things that COVID did was help me to live a healthier life in terms of health, exercise. Um, So I've been exercising a lot more and spending a lot time, more time taking care of my health and taking care of of what I eat and and how much activity I get and so that's been a big help also that's really been a blessing what what can you tell us about the food you're eating <laughs> that it's still too much <laughs> but you know I think going back to um uh, less less is more um and more raw foods, more whole foods, um, things, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the best teacher at that. And anybody can probably jump online and figure out what would work for them. There are all kinds of ways to go with this, you know, you have vegan diets, you have protein, rich diets, you have all kinds of stuff. But it's so each body is different. And even when it comes to exercise and getting the right amount of, of exercise in there. Each body is different. Some people want more cardio. Some people thrive on that. Some people really grow on that. Others need more weight training and, and, and lifting. I've been doing that too and learning about that and the different ways to do an exercise. I mean, it's a study. It really is a study. So I, I think getting to a healthier place physically um, helps get it to a healthier place emotionally and socially and all of that. Absolutely.
0: Well, it's been a great pleasure being with you today, Tani. Thank you. I really appreciate you telling us your story and giving us your life tips. <laughs> and I'm sure uh, people will be looking you up here on KNKR <laughs> and listening to Tani's World. Oh,
1: gosh. Thank you so much for having me again. That's, Absolutely. fun. Yeah. Aloha,
0: Aloha North Kohala This is Holly Allgood And you've been listening to Tutu's Talk Story With our special guest Tani Waipa, Here on KNKR LP 96.1 FN Kohala See you soon I'm a woman. Oh yeah
1: I'm a woman. I'm a ball of fire
3: Women's Voices on KNKRLP, 96.1 FM, Kohala. With your host, Isla Allgood, I'm proud to say that I've been doing this show now for six years. And I still find amazing songs and spoken words by female artists from right here in Kohala and around the world. Tune in to 96.1 FM or stream live at www.knkr.org.
2: Free COVID testing is available in North Kohala every Monday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. in Kamehameha Park. Please bring your ID and a medical card if you have one. Remember, we're all in this together. Mahalo. This is a message from Kohala Hospital. 89% of those currently hospitalized in our state are not vaccinated. The vaccines are like an extra shield giving our body a cheat sheet on how to beat the virus. Wearing a mask, social distancing, and good sanitation habits will go a long way in keeping COVID cases down. Free testing and free vaccinations are available on the island and in North Kohala. For local North Kohala information from North Kohala COVID Busters, email busters at houseitkohala.com. That's busters at houseitkohala.com. Mahalo.